You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Leskins, your host as always. This week, we have my personal accountant, Carlo Bordy from Bordy & Associates in the studio with us. Thank you very much for coming in, Carlo. No, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Mate, what are we talking about today? I think a really topical issue is how interest can be claimed as a deduction in relation to rental properties, and there's a whole host of different legislation on this. So the topic is interest and how it affects our properties. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, give us the first fun fact, mate. All right, so what's happened is the biggest change happened on the 1st of July 2019, not so long ago, and the commissioner all of a sudden has said, right, if you're building a rental property, the interest and the holding costs, so interest, council rates, water rates are defined as holding costs, uh, are not deductible while you're constructing this property. Which is BS, in my opinion. Well, th- that was actually legislated back in 2004 when that was the old rules and that's how it applied. They've now done a backflip since 2004 and brought it back in because what was happening is a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna put a house in there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent it, and they didn't, and they're claiming all the deductions. On vacant land. On and vacant then, land, yeah, okay. and the commissioner said, nah, you've had a land to me, so he's brought these new laws in. So now he's had a bit of a half-backflip again, right? Yeah. All right, tell us about the half-back flip. So basically, what they originally said on this legislation was the interest on the development costs on this property and on the acquisition is not deductible. But just three weeks ago, there's a new draft ruling that uh, softens that a bit. And what it does, it says that in relation to the land, you can't claim these holding costs until the property is completed and available for rent. But the new draft says the interest you're incurring on building the house so, on the land. So the progress payments of the loan for your build? Yeah, yeah, correct. That interest is deductible. Okay. Yeah, so... They're not making it easy for themselves, oh, look, are they? It, it, it's getting ridiculous. But if you understand this, there's two ways you can do it, and really either way is not going to be detrimental to you. You might have an initial loan for the whole thing, which then means that whenever you make a progress payment, your loan increases on a percentage. Therefore, that percentage of interest applicable to the progress payment becomes deductible as a claim against your other income. So that's when sitting on top of the uh, initial land loan as well, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. You might borrow 300000 for the, the land. You then make your first progress payment of $30,000. Now you've got interest on three hundred and thirty. So therefore, 30000 is 10% of the loan. Therefore, 10% of the interest moving forward is deductible. And every time you make a progress payment, a new calculation is required. Or you take a new loan out just for the build, and whatever goes through there is all deductible while the house is being constructed. And the initial land loan just stays non-deductible? The initial land loan gets quarantined. Now, what happens there is that quarantined interest, as well as the council rates and the water rates, virtually add to the cost of the house. And when you sell that property, that can be added to what's called the cost base. In other words, what it's cost you to build this house, plus those other components which you couldn't claim along the way. But there is a snag, and the snag is, if you turn around and sell that property and you make a gain, you can claim those costs. If you make a loss, you can't use those costs to increase your loss. Mm. You lose them. All right, so let me make it really clear if I can translate into layman's terms. What Carlo is saying here is, with this legislation, the build portion now is tax deductible again or the interest but the land portion stays non-deductible along with the rates and water rates and those sort of things however those non-deductible amounts for the land and the water rates can still sit on top of the base cost essentially the base price of your 
property when you go and sell, increasing your cost, therefore decreasing the capital gain you're claiming against. So you eventually do get it back as long as you do make a profit, but you're not getting it back as a deductible expense on an annual basis. Am I right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yep, and that's real. Look, I can't believe just how much work they're giving you, Carlo. Another calculator. Your tax time must just continually get harder and harder. Well, where this becomes really interesting is where a person's built a house and then two years later, for some reason, the house is vacant. Now, if you've built a new residential property and you've got a vacancy period, now that normally happens under three scenarios. One, when you're constructing that we discussed just then. Two, you might have a tenant there who, and you decide to do a reno on the property. Therefore, that holding period when it's not available for rent, again, you can't claim your council rates and your interest on your land component, but you can claim it on the build. And the last component is when you sell the property. So if you take a property off the market as a rental, then again, it's no longer available for rent. Those costs become holding costs again. So yeah, that's, oh, it's I, getting it easier. I'll tell you what, there must have been some really sneaky fellas trying to trick the ATO for the ATO to bring this in. Guys who have had their property vacant for years saying, oh no, I'm just trying to sell it and still claiming interest even though they intentionally haven't had it uh, rented out for a while. For the ATO to think of this at this level, they really must have got screwed over by a number of people getting very creative. Well, the short answer is yes. And to highlight that, just recently, uh, last three years, they've eliminated the ability to claim travel costs to your property. Yeah, we know and that. that. Was, that was exactly for that same reason where people were, the small percentage were rotting the system. And so therefore everyone pays the consequence. Mm. So even if you're legitimately going there to, to bring your own lawnmower there to cut the lawns or to collect the rent or, or to, to make the tenant happy so that everyone's, everything's closed, you get the denied that travel cost. All right, well, let's move on. So that's the first one. What's the next fun fact? Now, we, I see this regularly. A lot of clients, for whatever reason, have got a loan and they believe or they're under the assumption that that loan, because they originally acquired the loan for the property, is fully deductible and will always remain fully deductible. And that's correct if you don't change the nature of the loan in any form or fashion. And the best way I can describe that is some people have got what's called an equity line of credit. So their wages go in there and then the rent goes in there and then they pay the kids' school fees and they pay for their own groceries and this loan goes up and down and up and down on a regular basis. Well, what you're doing then is every time that money goes into that account, you're actually reducing the size of the loan. And every time you take the money back out, you may bring that loan back up to the same level or a similar level but your percentage of deductibility changes. So just to butt in there, Carlo, are we also talking maybe like a redraw facility? Is it a very similar thing where you're putting money onto a loan? Absolutely. If the redraw is not in relation to money being spent on the property, that redraw component becomes private in nature. Yeah, they're using it as a savings or a quasi-offset account. And that's where it works against the taxpayer. So the little example I've just prepared is like, if you have a loan for $300,000 and let's say your rent is 1200 bucks for the month, because this calculation is all done on a monthly basis for the tax department. So you put in 1200 bucks with the rent and you also put your wages in there because it goes automatically in there. And your loan goes down by 6000 for your wages, $1,200 for the rent, and now goes down to... Uh, 292800 because of the, the difference of what's being contributed. But all of a sudden, the school fees come in that same month and you pay 5000 in school fees. So the loan goes back up to 297800 bucks. What it means on the calculation is that your 100% loan is now gone down to 98.32%. That's in one month. Because you've used the debt for a non-investment property purpose, well, being the school fees? You, firstly, you've reduced the debt, just like making extra payments on a loan, and all of a sudden you've taken it back out for a private reason. So the best way to understand it is, 
pretend you have a normal loan and you've paid extra on that loan and all of a sudden you'll say, oh, I want to do renovations in my own house now. I've paid an extra 100000 on this loan. I'm going to take out fifty and do my kitchen up. As soon as you take that fifty out, because it's not for the rental property, your loan is then adjusted for the private component. But I'm giving you the bad news. So the good news is how do you fix that? Now, my best advice would be if you intend having a loan which is a deductible loan, you don't change it in any form or fashion, but you have an offset facility. So you create an offset facility, all the spare cash goes in the offset facility, and as long as that offset facility is healthy, that offset facility will reduce the interest component of the loan attached to the rental property. But it won't affect the loan purpose. And because it doesn't affect the loan purpose, and it doesn't affect the loan itself in any form or fashion, you retain that integrity. And you can have situations where where people buy a house knowing that one day they're going to rent it. So what you then do is you plough as much money into that loan through a offset facility. So if you've got a three hundred thousand dollar loan, the next five years you're chucking a hundred thousand offset facility. You're now only paying interest on two hundred, and then you go right. I'm going to rent this property now, and I'm going to buy myself another house. You draw out that hundred thousand dollars out of the facility, put it on your own house. The other loan is now the interest is all charged on the original loan. But the loan's still the same. And it's still it's the same, and it's fully deductible. Yep. So that's how that one there works. So I think that's the best advice I give you is to really think of your loans. And when you're setting these loans up, you normally got to talk to your bank simultaneously to do them correctly. Because sometimes if you've got a loan, you may not be able to attach an offset facility. Banks are getting very difficult in their lending criteria. So think of that in advance. Or if you haven't thought about it, you can always speak to them and say, can I do something with this? Or can I restructure my existing loan so I can get this advantage? Okay, what's next? A lot of people aren't aware that if you buy a rental property and if you then turn around and sell that property for whatever reason to a third party at market rates and it's less than what you paid for that property and you can't extinguish your initial loan, which was all deductible previously, the loan that remains is still deductible as long as you don't play with it too much. Like, you know, you can restructure it if you're going to get a better interest rate, but you can't merge it with another loan. Then that interest is still deductible going forward. So is that something that's changed recently? No, it's been for a long time, but again, it's just not common knowledge. And a lot of people then, they're going, oh, there's only 50 on it, let's just get rid of it because I can't do anything with it. But you can. If you've got a personal loan, you still reduce your personal loans before you reduce that one. At least you're getting some sort of relief in having a bad scenario where you've lost uh, on the sale of a property. The last bit of information relates to when a person acquires a rental property, there's two scenarios that exist. You either live in it first and then you rent it, or alternatively, you have a rental property and then you subsequently move into it. Now, in the latter scenario, when a person moves into a property that was originally in a rental property, there's a capital gain that will always apply. And the capital gain is basically a ratio calculation. So if you've rented the property for six years and you then decide to live in it for the next three, then some people have the impression, oh, I've lived in it for 12 months, it's all tax-free. No, you've now owned the property for nine years, of which six years is subject to capital gains. But the interesting part is the holding costs while you're living it as your residential can still be used to reduce the capital gain calculation. And holding costs under this definition is interest, council rates, water rates, insurance, repairs, all those categories, all those items can then need you need to keep receipts, all your documentation on it, and then can be used to reduce your capital gain calculation on the ratio of percentage of ownership compared to rental period. And uh, that has a significant impact on your capital gains calculation. Can you give us an example, Carly? Let's say you, you buy a house for $500,000 
and uh, you've, you've renting it for, for the six years, and then you live in it for the next three. That then means that one third of the time it's been your residential property. So if you turn around and sell that property for a million dollars, if it was always your house, it'd be tax-free, because it's not, two thirds of that uh, profit becomes taxable. So it's not about what the value was in no. year six, it's just a ratio of six to three. Six ninths. It's yeah. just a ratio of six ninths, yeah, two correct. thirds. But then you can use your subsequent cost while you were living in it to reduce the capital gains calculation. That So if you bought it for 500,000 and then you sell it for a million, you made a $500,000 profit, it then means that six ninths of that is taxable, but then that component can be reduced by those costs that you've incurred while you lived in it that we described before. It sounds like a loophole. If all the things we've spoken about today where the ATO was clamping down on the tiniest of things, this doesn't make sense where we can still keep claiming holding costs, things like that, for the time that we're not renting it out. Yeah, and I suppose the best way to understand it is, let's say you move into your your old rental property and then a year later you, you think, right, I want to revamp this kitchen, I want to put a new bathroom in, I want to build a new pergola, I want to put a shed at the back. All those costs also get taken into account in relation to the uh, the capital gain because you've actually made the property better. So in one sense, those costs are making it better. The other ones are simply decreasing your capital gain calculation. I suppose another example I could give you is if you've got a holiday home, the interest and the council rates and the water rates and the repairs and the maintenance insurance on, the, on, the, on that property are not deductible because it's your holiday home because you're not earning any income from it. And then your capital gain is simply well, how much did you buy it for, how much did you sell it for. But you can reduce your capital gain by all those costs that I've just mentioned because normally as a rental they would be deductible because it's an investment you can't, you can then offset it against the capital gain. So maybe that's a better way to understand So, so a similar example when we spoke about that land-based cost that is non-deductible sitting on top of the capital base price to reduce your capital gain. The yeah. same thing we spoke about a few minutes ago. Yeah, because there the interest, the council rates and the water rates aren't deductible. Here, the same applies. The definition's a little bit broader because you can also put repairs and maintenance on there. You can also put insurance on there as well as the interest and the council and the water rates. But yeah, basically they're categorised in the same way. Mm. And again, if you make a loss, you can't increase your loss because of those costs. But if you made a gain... If a person was to spend 400 bucks on maintenance on their driver every year and they have their property for 10 years, well, there's $4,000 deduction on your capital gain you can apply mm. on this calculation. So it just that adds up. And I think that would apply to a lot of people in Perth because I do know that there are quite a few people who have either come back to Perth from overseas where it was a home they lived in that then rented out whilst they were in London and now they've come back again. Oh, look, absolutely. And look, there's other legislation which maybe they can apply. Maybe they can apply what's called the six-year exemption rule. But... All this legislation does is it gives additional benefit over and above that as well. Let's explain that six-year exemption rule to everyone uh, as a bit of a refresher on probably something you spoke about a year and a half ago. Basically, the, the commission introduced this legislation many years ago, and it was mainly for the grey nomads. So what it says is if you have a residential property and you do not acquire another residential property, so in other words, you're in a caravan, or you move into a rental property, or you move back home with parents, or you move in with friends, basically, as long as you don't have another house that you are the owner of... And Claiming your principal place, place of residence, residence not correct. paying land tax on. Yep, correct. Then the commission says, okay, you can elect that property for six years, and if you sell it within six years, you don't have to pay capital gains on the sale of that property. And even more generous is if you were to re-establish that property as your residential and then move out subsequently again, 
you can get another six-year exemption applicable in that transaction as long as your circumstances are as we described before. If for some reason you rented it for eight years and you never moved back in, well, then it simply means you get the exemption of six-eighths on the capital gain on the value of that property. And how long do you have to live in that property for for that exemption to start? Look, the commissioner virtually says there are no periods that you have to live in it. There's no defined rules. It says you must make the property your abode. And what that means is you've got to have all your mail go there, you've got to use electricity, you've got to physically move in, electoral roll, got to be your home, mm. basically. So um, if I was to build a new home, yep. live in it for six months, and then rent it out for the next 10 years, I would then get a 50% discount for owning it for more than 12 months, and then I would only be paying four-tenths of that, the rest of that because of the six-year rule applied? Yeah, and look, and that, that, that strategy is quite common in relation to first homeowner buyers because what they're doing is they're applying for the grants that's applicable, they're moving in for six months, which meets the government requirement that's become your residential property, they're then turning it into rental, they're moving back home with mum and dad and then getting the best of every world. Uh, I think that's a really, really good piece of advice for a lot of people today that definitely would not have known that information. You've pretty much turned what could have been a really big capital gain outcome to 20%, really, 50% of 40% in that situation where you've owned the property for 10 years and then you then sell it. Well, a lot of people are saying, oh, I want to help my kids. I want to make sure I help them give them a boost. Don't become guarantor. That's my advice. But allow them to come back. If they come back, you're opening this legislation to their advantage. And typically in six years, who knows what property is going to be worth. That'll set them up for life. Carlo Bordy from Bordy Associates, thanks so much for your time, mate. These have been some quirky little tips today, but also some really pertinent ones for a lot of people. So thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!